Hey guys, what's up? It's me, Danny Sanchez. Welcome back to Broadway Live, your home to Broadway news, pop culture, and more. It's not your normal podcast, it's Broadway Live. Hey guys, welcome back to Broadway Live with your host, Danny Sanchez here. I am super excited to continue the conversation of the Tony Awards, the 2020 Tony Awards. So guys... Um, part one, last episode, we talked about, you know, my opinions and things of, you know, how I felt about it, you know, all the nominations and everything. But now I brought on a special guest that you have heard before in regards to her lovely expertise and knowledge of the Broadway theater community. She's one of the heads of the Russo Richardson production team. And if you would like to, please, please, please point your calendars at Heather's on um, YouTube is coming out on October 30th. Not on YouTube. We, on I YouTube. wish I could put it on YouTube. It's on it's YouTube. a it's live streamed. It's live, live streamed, streamed, but it won't be on YouTube. Not live streamed. Got it. Got it. So you got to go on the Russo Richardson Instagram page, on the website. All the information is there. Colette, Kristen, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. How are you, my love? I'm doing amazing, guys. So when I first when I first toned the Tony Awards stuff happened, I was like, I need to talk to Colette because Colette. <laughs> Colette, you know, ever since I met Colette, we have like the same mind when it comes to, you know, things analytically on a Broadway, but also in like behind the scenes and the business side of things. Just, mm-hmm. to, you know, two brains is better than one, just to see, you know, what and picking out your ideas and everything. So yeah. let's just get started. So basically, yeah. if you guys don't know, you should know if you're living in a rock, the Tony Awards are happening this year and you're probably thinking, what the heck? Because that season was cut very short due to the yeah. pandemic. Um, Colette, how do you feel about the Tony Awards actually happening? Let me give me your honest, genuine. Yeah, opinion. I I think it's a really tough situation to be in because I can completely understand both sides of the argument. Um, I I think that it's really tough to do an award season when there's not very many shows that are eligible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also understand that um, historically the ratings for the Tonys, the network ratings have been drop, dropping significantly um, every single year for the past while. Um, and they've been like, the theater community has been fighting with CBS to not drop the Tony Awards broadcast entirely. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we don't, as a community, we need to have something um, that will get some kind of rating so that the network doesn't, you know, go, oh, there's no Tonys and then decide not to broadcast the Tonys when we can have one. Um, But it's, it's really tough. I think the really interesting thing about this season is that because there's a, um, a natural divide in the way that the season opens. Um, If you pay attention, you'll notice the plays always open at the beginning of the season Mm -hmm. and the musicals always all open right near the end. Um, And because of that, we currently have a season with a totally reasonable number of plays. Yes. And a completely unreasonable number of musicals. And I think that it's interesting because people because we're all so musical centered and because the Tonys are so musical centered because it's so hard, like, what are they going to do? Like bring everything on and do a scene from the play. Like that doesn't work as well as doing a big musical number with sort of flashy sets and jazz hands. So the, the Tonys becomes about the musicals and we all forget about the plays. And now the plays are finally having the moment to shine. So I'm honestly kind of excited about it being the plays this year. Um, 
I I don't know whether I would have had any of the musicals be eligible or whether I would have just bumped all the musicals to next season, but there's like complicated things in terms of that as well, because they can't make a different role for the musicals in the play. So like, I, I understand it, um, but it's just one of those rock and a hard place situations, right? Like there's no, there's no real right answer here. Yeah. It's really interesting because, you know, it, you, when you just said if, you know, either just not ha- having musicals eligible, it's like the musicals, drive the Tonys. It's, you know, it's the thing that mm-hmm. we look for every year in regards to um, people that look forward to seeing the Tonys in their own home versus, you know, uh, different shows opening in the season um, that we want to see. But now we only have four that are eligible for this season, which we'll go into in depth. Um, but when I found out that there were still happening, it, it was a massive big question of what if what's going to happen and it, you know right now the tony awards absolutely it, there's no set date yet it, there, we just have the number yeah. now and there's still i no i like personally i was on team um i was on team let's do a like tribute of the tony awards and and have all the sort of major players do a number and do like a tribute to musical theater instead of a Tony Awards. I was very much on like tribute to the Tonys rather than Tony's 2020. Um, But I can, I can understand because again, you don't want to, you don't want to cheat all of the amazing plays that opened the season. And there were some really amazing plays that opened. Oh my goodness. Like literally sometimes I get upset when I go, like when I was in New York, I wanted to see, you know, a lot of, you know, I was so close to see the inheritance before it closed, but literally (sighs) I could not see it because it was closed by the time I got there. And plus my, my And I've heard, I've heard phenomenal things about slave play. I've heard phenomenal things. I I didn't, I didn't manage to get down to New York enough um, last year to see anything because again, I was planning on going later in the season. Um, But I think um, having, having been the theater kid that doesn't live in New York, I can understand where the, all you know is the musicals comes in because there's just no like, with the musicals, you can find, you can listen to the cast album. You can see like the promo videos. They don't really advertise the plays in that way. Um, but wow. when I started living in New York, like um, not this season, but last season, I saw both Ferryman and Choir Boy. Oh. Um, and both of those shows were some of the best stuff I had seen all season. And I saw quite a few of the musicals that opened that season. Oh my God. I um, literally like. So it's like. Don't don't knock the plays, guys. Don't knock the plays. They're stellar. Stellar, literally. When a choir boy first like came, like a thing. I, oh. you know, Jeremy Pope, like, just Jeremy Pope. Jeremy Pope like, went to AMDA, and I was so no, proud of that. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. did. We were no. literally all like Jeremy Pope. I don't know him. Like, he went to AMDA long before I did. But like, everyone at AMDA was like AMDA grad. <laughs> He's from Orlando. Hmm. He's from Orlando. He's, he's just, I, I remember like, seeing, oh. seeing him play that part live was a otherworldly experience. Like he, we're getting off topic though. Yeah, we're getting off topic, but like Jeremy Pope, <laughs> we love Jeremy Pope, but going in depth with the Tonys, we had, mm-hmm. we, had we had the lovely Jason from Eichelhart telling us the nominations and it was a very good, you know, virtual, you know, telling us the nominations yeah. the ceremony, very, you know, cutesy, you know, all of that. Um, so do you want to start by the big topics of musicals or go open with, you know, the plays? Oh God. A track? I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you want to do, Danny? Okay. So right now I have my notes and I see, 
I just want to get out of the way. So when we see, you know, best original score written for the theater, we think of <laughs> the lovely musical theater scores, you know, all the great scores that, you know, we have probably, you know, the best scores that we have on Broadway. But the thing is that they're all plays this year. Yeah. So I am very, I don't know how I feel about it, but also it's like, it also makes sense because the three shows, the four shows that are eligible, only one of them was original based musical. Original music, yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised and I'll tell you why. Um, if you want to think back, I know it's a long time ago and 2020 feels like a decade, but if you want to think back a couple of years to, oh gosh, it wasn't last season, but the season before. Was that, um, that was that, was that? Mean Girls, Spongebob. Um, yes, Frozen. Frozen and Bands Visit. Yes. That Tony Awards being a sweep for Bands Visit, um, Bands Visit is incredible. Do not get me wrong. I love that show. I loved seeing that show. But in having that show sweep the Tonys, the American Theater Wing made a very clear statement that they were standing behind shows that were not commercial adapted properties. Yep. Yep. They wanted to support um, musicals that were original. And Band's Visit isn't original, right? It's based on a movie. Yes. But that they didn't, they, that was a very clear statement on behalf of the Tony Awards that was going, we don't want commercial musicals in this house. Um, so when, when Lightning Thief, which is not only a, like, very commercial musical, but a very, like, young adult Young adult pitched writing. musical. Niche community, yeah. I I was not surprised that they weren't getting nominated just because, um, look, musicals written for young people are angsty. And the music is generally fairly um, structurally simple, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have, like, Sondheim-level complexity in the music writing mm-hmm. when we're writing for teenagers. That does not discount the fact that it can be a moving show that means something to people and has a great bopping score and be awesome. Um, I'm, I'm literally producing Heather's right now, which is one of the angstiest and most musically simple (laughs) shows that exists, right? It's not, although there's some, there's some complicated moments in Heather's in any case. Um, But that is not something that the people who decide who gets nominated for a Tony are a fan of because they tend to be older um and so you know angsty musicals sound whiny to them um which you know that's just an age difference thing it's like they're the people who are choosing the tonys were not the target audience for that show one thousand percent like literally it's the comedy itself as as not a as not a you know it's not for them it's not you know i think that it's i think who was on the committee? Daphne Ruben. I know, like Daphne Ruben. Daphne Ruben Mega was. I on. don't. I don't know this year's Tony committee off the top of my head. But. Yeah, I know some some actors and some people in the community are were on it. Yeah, and it's a matter of the fact that with Lightning Thief itself, you know, it already had a limited run on Broadway for six, mm-hmm. 16 weeks, and it inherently did not perform reviews well within the New York Times major yeah. lines within the Broadway you know spectrum but 
it was received well. It, it the way they I read, I went back and read some of the reviews. It was received well off Broadway and through the and throughout the tour that they went through, um, with its very minimalist DIY you know atmosphere mm-hmm. set and all these things like that. Um, but once it got to Broadway, and you know having that you know little engine that could show in comparison to other materials in New York. Yeah. To have that stand alone, you know, didn't really match with probably what Tony Awards the committee was. Yeah, well, and some shows, um, and like, I will, I will, you know, preface this by saying, like, I, I live in Toronto now. I didn't actually get to see all the shows this season. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In person. I saw Jagged Little Pill. That's the only one that I managed to actually get to see in person. I almost saw um, that show. Ugh, my heart can't continue. Um, but there's also something to be said for the fact that not all musicals are meant to be Broadway musicals. Like, if you put the last five years on Broadway, it wouldn't work. Um, because because here's, here's a fun fact for, for our listeners at home. Broadway and off-Broadway are terms that define how many seats there are in the theater. Yeah. That is literally what those words mean. So when someone says it's a Broadway show, they mean that there are 500 or more seats in the theater and the theater's in Manhattan. Um, If it's an off-Broadway show, it means that there are somewhere between 99 and 499 seats and it's in Manhattan. If it's an off-off-Broadway show, then there's less than 99 seats in the theater and um, it's in Manhattan. So it's not like being on the street means anything um so it's it's purely about size right and just like just like there are some shows that you do regionally that you want in a black box space like if you're working in a black box space it's an off-broadway show it it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna fit um and from what i knew about lightning thief um it's a small cast show um right if you if you were gonna do lightning thief the broadway musical you'd want a bigger cast you'd want special effects you'd want but they didn't have they didn't right they didn't have the money to do that if, if disney hyperion had produced it and had done it with like you know a giant mechanical hydra then that's like one thing but it seemed like the way that they put the show together because they were doing it on a bit of a shoestring budget made it fit really nicely in a black box and then when you try and move that into a broadway space a lot can get lost because the audience is so far away right so there's there's that to think about too is that sometimes um sometimes shows don't move to Broadway or don't do well when they move to Broadway just because they're really an off-Broadway show and the only reason why they're moving to Broadway is so that they can they can go after the Tonys. Yeah. It's and you know the property of Letting Thief was you know was done with by the same team with Be More Chill and mm-hmm. was you know with Joe Trasic and um uh Jennifer Tepper, that producing team, I think. Um, but with that show in particular, you know, uh, I remember reading it didn't really do well within the reviews. And also, this isn't, it's not a major factor, but it's also to account all of, everyone in the show made their Broadway debuts, except for our leading man, Chris McCarroll, um, right. which, you know, doesn't mean anything, but in regards to just the whole show constructually, you know, and like a, I'm gonna see this show, but wait, who's the who? Are the, who, who do I know in the show? You know, when you go see a show on Broadway, you relatively know who the actors are it's, or have a following. It's tough of the- to market a show with an entirely like 
Broadway debut cast. Um, just having they, one. It, it, it can be done successfully. Like um, I'm thinking right now when they uh, when Bring It On hit Broadway, pretty much everybody in that cast at that time was making everyone, their Broadway debut. Everyone. Literally everybody. Because um, of Lin-Manuel's attachment and of course the property of Bring It On. Um, yeah. Of what it was. So and well, now it's like. And I think. I think the other thing we have to remember is um, Percy Jackson was not as culturally impactful on a wide scale as something like Harry Potter. Like Percy Jackson meant a lot to the the kids who were that age when it was coming out. Um, But, you know, like I teach kids, I don't know whether there's kids who are reading it now I don't know whether it like meant anything or had any connection whatsoever to the parents. Like, you know, some, sometimes when you have those like book series, they're like cultural phenomenons. I don't feel like Percy Jackson was a cultural phenomenon on the same scale. It was a really successful book series for the demographic of people who were the right age for it when it was coming out. And as a result, um, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like, what if Twilight became a musical? Exactly. Exactly. Right. that era of like tw- I'm more Hunger Games. A Hunger Games, like that, like that. It's like that. You know the the adaptation, the correlation with that. You know, you know it could it could work depending on what you're going for. But mm-hmm. in regards to a translation of the fact, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a culture phenomenon phenomenon book. Well, like. This sounds dumb. Like Little Woman. Like that's a cool. Yeah, but that was that was like this so so huge, so widespread. Like everyone knows that story, right? Yeah. Because here's the other thing that becomes tough when you're adapting a book into a musical is there's so much plot in a book. You can't fit. Um, and you can't fit it into like a musical's got to be like unless you're unless you're Les Mis or Into the Woods and you're <laughs> like that the musical has to be like two and a half hours long tops, right? And there is so much more than two and a half hours worth of plot. And the other thing you have to remember is that because it's a musical, like when you have a play, you can make the entire thing plot. When you have a musical, you have to stop and take a moment to sit with the character's feelings. And that's not a thing that necessarily happens in books. You might might get like a paragraph or two of the the character talking about how they feel, but you don't get like two chapters of the character going, and this is how I feel about what's going on in my life right now. The the plot just keeps moving. Um, And Percy Jackson has a lot of plot. Like that first book has a lot of plot. And um, I, from knowing the fan base, the first movie did not do it justice. <laughs> the, right. Well, because it's it's so it's so hard when you have that much plot. So I I also like and this for just just for like all the lightning thief stands out there. I'm not saying it's not a good show. I very much like quite a lot of the music in that show. I haven't yeah. seen it. Um, my grand plan is in my book. Like I I very much like the show. Um, but if we're talking about it structurally, there's some difficulties with it. Um, and when, when it comes to the Tonys, again, the Tonys is an old elitist organization. It just is. That's, that's a thing. Award shows are an old elitist organization. Like, they all are. The the Oscars are, the Emmys, like, that's just, that's what this is, right? It's the old Hollywood, but it's, you know, old Broadway this time. Um, but yeah, it's it's so it's so tough to do that. 
Um, and so as a result from a lot of things I've read about the show, what ends up happening is that they have to condense a lot and then presume that the audience can fill in the gaps because they're familiar with the story, which is great if your audience member no. is... The, 22 years old and read every single Percy Jackson book like three times over when they were in elementary school and middle school and went as Annabeth for Halloween three years in a row. But if you're a like 50 or 60 year old theater reviewer and you didn't have kids, then you don't know the story and now you're lost. You're lost and you, you're trying to hope that this this entity and this separate adaptation can tell that story on its own because a lot of this a lot of like adaptations and things through commercialized you know, properties or through, you know, let's standalone, you know, phenomenon books, whatever it is, you know, they they're separate entities within the original adaptation and then the new <laughs> adaptation. So you wanna make like for instance, like Frozen, like the movie is a culturally great mm -hmm. and with the musical even though it's of the same vein and same property it's a separate entity and a separate you know thing that you know you of course you know the movie duh but like what if someone has never seen frozen or doesn't know anything about it you would hope that this solely this whole piece of yeah um art and this interpretation can tell that story justice and if it can't exactly it's not going to work. You know what I mean? Well, and this is, this is a, this is a really interesting thing because, um, I had a, a playwriting workshop that I went to when I was in high school. Um, and this sounds like a real huge non sequitur, but give me a second. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the, um, it was Kevin Loring, who, um, I'm guessing none of you have heard of, but he's a fantastic Canadian playwright and director and, actor and just all around amazing theater person. Kevin Loring. Terry Lord, okay. I hope I'm getting that right. I'm like about to, I'm going to look it up and make sure I'm getting that right. Yeah, no, I, I got that right. Ah, I was scared. It was a while ago. Um, but he said, if you're writing a, a play, the most important thing you need to know is, are you writing a play or are you writing a book? Or are you writing a movie? Or are you writing a television show? Or are you writing a web series? Are you writing a comic book? Because here's the thing. Every single story has different elements to it that lend themselves to different mediums. If you are telling yourself you're writing a musical, but in your head you're imagining close-ups, it's a movie, right? You can say it's a musical all you want, but it's not gonna work as a musical as well as it does as a movie, which is why when you adapt something for a different form, you have to actually change the story a little bit um, and change what parts of the story you tell and what scenes you can and cannot include because different mediums are different forms of storytelling and demand different things of you. Um, and so some things have to get sacrificed or changed and sometimes that like adaptation works really well and other times it super doesn't. And there are some times where like I mean, you know, I, I'm sure we can all think about movies that we saw that were originally books or frick, cats. <laughs> right? It works really well as a live stage show, but when you try and do that as a realistic movie, it's nightmare fuel. So, you know, sometimes it, sometimes you can't. Yeah. Sometimes you can't adapt everything into a musical. Not everything can be a musical. Um, and I'm not sure whether that's necessarily the case for Lightning Thief, but I think that with what they, with the decisions that they made, 
Lightning Thief was for people who had read the book and for people who the book meant something to. And from what I have, what, what I've seen and what I've heard from the show, it's not, it's not great at communicating the story to people who have no familiarity with it whatsoever coming in. Okay. And that's okay. There is validity in there being a musical out there whose target audience is the large group of young people who read that book. Um, and it also is going to introduce a whole bunch of young people to musical theater. So I, I'm not saying there's no space for that, but I can see why a Tony Awards nominating committee wouldn't choose to nominate that objectively, even, even when there's so few... Um, so few shows in the season. And I think the other thing we have to remember is that, like, if if the season had gone ahead as planned, we wouldn't be talking about Lightning Thief at all. Everyone would have forgotten that it happened. Nobody would be... I mean, a couple people would probably still be upset that it didn't get nominated, but nobody would be shocked. Um, and so I, I feel like it's it's part of the, well, there's only four shows, and so they have to kind of thing. And I get the sense that the Tony Awards are trying to hold on to some and this is a very elitist concept, but some amount of like, this is the bar that you must meet in order to be considered eligible or good enough for a Tony award. Um, and I don't know how I feel about that, but it's definitely yeah. a thing. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I feel for, you know, I was reading a lot of different sweet, different messages and tweets from the producers of, of Lightning Thief and overall the people in the community. And regards to, you know, it was a show that people in New York didn't care to, you know, give an interest in, but it yeah. also, it also gives this perspective of what example are we setting as New York artists and theater goers of new material or new things going to the Broadway stage. Well, that's the other thing is that because it's the only original musical, like I can, I can understand why they're like, well, because it's Lightning Thief, but as the only original musical, that becomes incredibly problematic. There's just this, this, this season just becomes a trap. <laughs> like no I'm matter, saying. no matter what direction you go, it's a trap. And it's a way of the fact that like this the Tony Awards, while it does deem competitive with the shows nominated, but also it's a, what's the, the core of the Tonys, of course, is to honor the shows that were, you know, represented in that mm -hmm. season and to give that, you know, honor. And it's an honor to be nominated, an honor to, you know, have your show yeah. represented. But, you know, you know, for instance, that shows that open and close early, like Amelie and Top Everlasting and... Yeah stuff like that that were open but didn't survive that long um those, there's actually a term for that um those are called lame ducks if you close before the tony awards you're called a lame duck um and it actually statistically makes you less likely to get nominated or win anything fun fact yeah i mean it people does, have forgotten about you yeah because yeah it's, it's, crappy it's as that is public and that's the thing with like when it comes like with Broadway shows and versus like movies and like with film, it's like yeah. with the film, it's done with one time, it's done. That's you know, it's it's an existence. It's just a matter of, is it gonna be culturally, you know, is it a you know culturally big film? Is it raved? You know, all these things that you know, all yeah. the things that go with that. But 
that's to do with the original score. And I think that, you know, with having all these plays, you know, be nominated, I mean, it's probably just the music that they use within the within the Well, show. and and you know what? I think I think as much as, you know, we're like original scores in musicals, I'm and this goes for the whole the whole friggin' thing. I'm really excited for how much love the plays are getting this year. I am. Because I really normally am. normally people who write cuz people write original scores for plays all the time. All the time. And they never get any recognition for it because it's always about the musicals. Yeah, you're um, totally, you're totally right. So like this is a really great opportunity to take a second to recognize all the amazing cuz like scoring music for a play is a skill in and of its it's a completely different set of skills right it's a completely different art form than scoring music for a musical because you it's it's very similar to sort of film scoring but in a in a sort of for a different medium so i'm i'm again i feel like conflicted is just the right like that's like the motto for this year is i'm conflicted um but i'm i'm simultaneously like upset that the one original score of the year didn't get a nod i think if it if lightning thief would have gotten a nomination in any category it would be score um that's for me but technically like if you want to go more logistics it is the only original yeah. score versus the the term jukebox music that's overly used in regards to just like uh like tina turner a jukebox musical because you know it's tina turner's music but telling her yeah i call them pre-written scores rather than jukebox musicals yeah. because i i feel like jukebox musical um refers to a very specific kind of show where there's music that it's essentially trying to write a musical around a concert is how I see jukebox musicals. And I think biopic musicals of artists that use the artist's music are like, they're biopic musicals. That's a complete, bio musical, I don't know. Like, I can't call it a biopic because it's not a picture, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's just- Like it's Jagged weird. Little Pill is a jukebox musical, but- An original- Because Turner isn't. It, the thing is that Jagged Little Pill, it's an original concept, plot-based storyline. Yes. But told through Alana's music. Like yes. and the other the other thing that's worth noting about about Jagged is that the um Tom Kitt's arrangements are first of all, Tom Kitt's arrangements are Every phenomenal. Is just is just a that's a sentence in and of itself outside of the context of Jagged Little Pill. I friggin' love Tom Kitt's arrangements of anything ever. Um mm. so now that that's been said <laughs> um <laughs> The arrangements of Jagged Little Pill significantly change the context in which the songs exist in a way that shows like Mamma Mia don't. It's just ways of, you know, if what specific song will be aligned for specific character moments and character, you know, things that highlight through the plot. Right, but even, even like where harmonies are added and the way that the like even even down to like the way that the band is playing is completely different like if you if you go and listen to the jagged little pill cast album and then go and listen to like jagged little pill the album like alanis morissette's album the songs sound completely different because the arrangement is so different 
Um, I don't want to, I don't want to go as far as to say that it might as well be an original score because it, it isn't, but the arrangements have been transformative on a more significant level than I think we normally see with jukebox musicals. It's transformative in the way that it needs to apply, it applies with to a Broadway stage, then right. that's with that, I feel. It's, it's less, it's less of an Alanis Morissette concert with a plot in between and more of a sort of what, what what you want to think of when you think of a jukebox musical. <laughs> Literally. And it's like, you know, I, just, I wanted to talk about that because the term jukebox always just gets, you know, thrown out with like, you know, yeah. show, Donna Summer, you know. Well, and those are, again, those are bio musicals. I, I have feelings. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's a separate topic that we can talk about. There are, honestly, honestly, Danny, like, I don't know how many episodes it would take for us to go through all of my feelings. <laughs> Mona, let's get to the meteor things in regards to this Tony Awards. But first, I need to honor the great, the legend, the great Audrey McDonald's nomination for her performance. Yes. And Johnny and the Claire de Lune. Literally, I feel like when Audrey McDonald gets nominated, I just, my heart just gets cured in a way. It just gets, it's, Look, very, it's very much, you know. We, we said it, we said it before. Audra is the Meryl Streep of Broadway. Yeah. And, you just, you can't, every time Audra's on Broadway, it is a gift. And you cannot not, you cannot not nominate Audra. You just, you can't, you can't do it. She's the only person who's won in every single acting category. And rightfully so, because I have never seen a video of anything she's done that hasn't been flawless. Yeah. Like, just flawless. I mean, I honestly, I'm very, I mean, this is probably, you probably agree, but like when I saw Beating the Beast in live action, she, she made the movie for me. Like, oh, oh. everything <laughs> Audra touches. <laughs> if Audra's there, I'm there. You're there. <laughs> you are here. You're there. Audra, if you're listening, I love you. We love you, Audra McDonald. <laughs> we love you, Audra McDonald. Oh my God, it's literally, uh, I, I, had to, I had to plug that in there. Yeah, uh, no, you can't, you can't not mention Audra. Literally. Um, we already talked about with Jack, with uh, Lightning Thief, like best musical, like, you know, the track. Yeah, the, we, 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 we've talked about Lightning Thief. Yeah, a lot. I think that the one big thing that we haven't talked about is Best performance by a leading actor in a musical. That because is the elephant in the room, isn't it's the it? The big conversation is because there's only one person nominated. And yeah, just, so and to give structure behind this and clarification, no, he did not win by default. He still has to get a 60% agreement from the com- committee if they all agree if to Which win the award. He will because the like negative PR that will come from them nominating him and then not giving him the Tony award is not conducive with the Broadway brand. Yeah, it would not. They're not, they're not going to do that. Um, so I think that the, the first thing to address um, is, and this is, again, I don't want to like claim to be an expert when I'm not. Um, I do a lot of reading about this stuff, but um, I obviously am not on the committee, I don't know any of these things for sure, but to my understanding, they can't actually nominate everyone who's eligible. No. Like they have to, there has to be at least one person or one eligible show or one eligible whatever that doesn't get a nomination. Oh, it was, and me, I think, it was me back then when Alex Newell didn't get nominated for Once on this Island. That's mm-hmm. with me. 
<laughs> oh, that's another topic. I had a break. Oh, God. Oh, God. That same situation um, applies. Yeah. So, so that's the thing is like somebody has to not get a nomination. Um, and the interesting thing about um, this season, and I think, I think this is something that has not been a part of the conversation yet, um, but I'd like to bring it into the conversation, is yeah. that the reason why Aaron Tveit's the only person who got nominated in that category is because there were only two people eligible to be nominated, um, and he was chosen over Chris McCarroll, um, which is because, can we take a second to acknowledge that out of the four shows that actually got a chance to open, two of them are so female-led that there's not actually anybody nominated or not anybody eligible to be considered for leading actor because there's not a leading actor. Unless like, can we just, can we just take a second to acknowledge that and, like, how, like, powerful. how many female-led stories we had this season? I mean, not to say, like, again, but even if you think about what would have opened, like, Six would have opened, Company would have opened. Like, this was about to be a very... West Side Story. Uh, girl power kind of season. Know, all these things. And, like, of course, like, if it, in the context, you know, with the limited, with the limited shows now, but if the show, if stuff that opened, there'd probably be a little bit more context. I feel like, yeah. honestly, I really think, honestly, if the pandemic didn't happen, opening, honestly, I could really, because like, you want to, the definition of a leading actor in a musical and, like, leading actress in a musical sometimes gets very fragmented because I think that well, those, particular because the whole thing I feel like with with, with it was with, with Mean Girls because over um Taylor Lottoma's nomination over Erica Henningsen's um and the aspect of yeah because the vote got split what's considered a leading you know role you know centered you know you know character. well that's that's the fun part is because technically um and I don't know if they've changed it but originally technically what what made you consider it a leading actor versus a featured actor was if your name was billed above the title. Oh. That was, that was the definition. If your name was billed above the title, you were considered a leading actor. If your name was billed under the title, you were a featured actor. Got it. So Bette Midler stars in Hello, Dolly. Bette Midler's a leading actor. 1,000%. Because her name goes before the title of the show. Now, that is no longer as commonplace as it was back in like the golden age, like Rogers and Hammerstein shows, it would be like Julie Andrews and Rex Harrison in my fair lady. Right. That was how everything was built. We don't really do that anymore. So now it ends up being a case by case basis. And I, I think, and I mean, I'm trying to remember like what was going to open this season. So the shows that were open in this season that if the pandemic didn't happen, like yeah. six, uh, five. Six down. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to name them. Yeah. Six Doubtfire. Uh, we had West Side Story, Girl in the North Country, um, Company. Diana. Diana, yes. But it's also crazy because it's like, even if shows that do have a like, even shows that did open that had like a centered like show that didn't like Anastasia didn't really get any nods in yeah. acting categories that year. And oh, was, oh, all right. Here we go. Here we go. Um, Flying Over Sunset was supposed to open. Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Uh-huh. Um, no, Music Man was going to open later. Um, and 
I think the Michael Jackson musical was supposed to open too. Carolina think- Change. Oh my gosh, that's totally right. Wait, I think I have, I think I, like pre-corona, I wrote like the list of them <laughs> who I wanted to not be nominated. Um, but yeah, and I totally agree with the fact that it was a very female dominated century. It was, it really was. Especially like, company, 1000% would have gone. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think who, who, who didn't get to open that would be eligible for leading actor. Rob McClure mm-hmm. or Doubtfire. <laughs> That's Rob. I, I'm like now that you're posting this on the internet, I'm like worried I'm gonna like <laughs> you're screw up who was gonna be in what. Maybe yeah, Isaac, Rob McLaren, Doubtfire. Isaac um, Cole- I don't think Diana had a leading man. Maybe Isaac Cole Powell. In yep. West For West Side. Um. Oh, I mean Henry Haddon Patton was gonna be in Diana. I think I'm not positive. I could be wrong. Okay. So so maybe I don't I don't know enough about Diana to know whether or not I had yeah. Or like, um, would, they, would they consider a male character in company to be leading? No. Probably not, because it's probably, it's, probably it's, not. No, because because um. It's centered around Katrina and Patty. It's it's centered around Bobby Flat, like. Well, Bobby like, character-wise, yes, but it's billed like starring Katrina, like Patty Lapone. Yeah, but I don't think I don't I don't know whether their names are above the title. I don't know. It's a really, it's really interesting when it comes to that. I think, I think, um, I think Katrina Lank would have been the only person who would have been not nominated or eligible for a leading actor category in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, the six queens technically would have either all been considered leading or all been considered featured. That kind of a situation is always tough. But also um, the same situation, like with like Come From Away, they like dominated Jen Colella versus like. The, yeah, but Jen Colella got nominated for feature, not leading. That's right. Uh, you're so smart. Because they were all, so I think probably what would have happened, honestly, likely what would have happened is that none of the women in six would have gotten nominated because they would have split the vote between the six of them. And as a result, none of them would have gotten nominated. Either that or they would have pulled a, like, West End Matilda and nominated all six of them at once. Uh Honestly, because not like notable, but a lot of the things that I've been seeing, because like not like to say like one actress is better, I just been seeing a lot of mm, talk and like things with Abby Mueller with the performance mm. in Six. So if you wanted to go in that route, but maybe probably, that's very much than that. But I do agree because you know with best best leading actress, we have Karen Olivo, Elizabeth Stanley, and Adrian Warren as the three. Who- who like if if again if everything had opened that season, um, my ooh but then um, what's her name? Who does Maria in West Side Story? Shereen Pimentel. Yeah, might have. That would have been a tough category. I'm trying to think now because like Katrina Lang would have gotten nominated. Uh huh. Absolutely. Like, sometimes they um, Jana Dewall would have absolutely gotten nominated for Diana. Yeah, because it goes from it. Go, sometimes it goes from five to six women. It really does. Yeah. So then it it probably would have been a six, but but then if um if Caroline or Change had opened, Sharon Wheatley, I forgot her name. Uh, oh gosh, I'm looking it up. And I, the, I'm so sorry to everyone who was supposed to open this season. <laughs> who I'm completely um, forgetting. All of your names. That's her Broadway debut. I think she transferred from the West End. I think that's what it what I think what it was. Um, I'm looking. Um, 
Like, I think that's what- Sharon D. Clark. Gotcha. I was close. Because I walked past the mar- the theater when it was like the marquee whatever, and I was like, that's right. That shows how- We're so terrible. We should- we, we need to know people's names better. <laughs> we but really that, do. That show itself was, was going to have like Casey Levy and all great people in that show. Well, like, that show is just a gorgeous show. And like, ugh. I, I, it's still opening. I literally cannot wait for it to come. But. I know. But, and with Best Leading Actress, I think that, you know, this episode's not going to be like, oh, who's going to win, who's not. I think that yeah. it's more of like, constructually what I've been seeing versus like, you know, oh, it's going to be the outcome. But mm-hmm. like, I think that in regards to structurally with these three women, you know, these three women, you know, I've told I've done really well I've, I've heard great things of all three it's gonna be a really really tight race like normally normally when we're walking into Tony's season um in yep. every category I can either tell you who's probably gonna win unless there's a big upset or like who it's between I can realistically see any of these three women taking home the trophy I could see um, as well I think that with everyone's thinking oh like Jagged's gonna sweep or versus like whatever's going to sweep. I mean, you can have that same, you can have that. Yeah, but this this category isn't like, even when something sweeps, there's always like one or two categories that it doesn't apply to. Um, like, for instance, um, the year that, the year that Hamilton happened, um, Cynthia Erivo won Best Leading Actress. Uh, because of course she did. Uh, because that performance was I literally cannot form words. That is how strongly I feel about that. Or no? Huh? Didn't you see her do it or no? I did. That's the one thing that when you (laughs) did, I almost started crying. Because like... When I I tell you that after Cynthia Erivo sang I'm Here, there was a solid like five to ten minutes of straight standing ovation in the middle of the show. And... It was entirely deserved. Like, the show stopped cold. It stopped cold. Cold. And the, the um, fact that she, she closed, the, the show closed on her birthday. And I didn't know that. The show closed on her birthday, <sighs> last performance. And, like, it, it was a, the, the live stream of her last performance. She couldn't get through it. Like, it was, it's such a, that's when you She's, know. She's so amazing. She's she's phenomenal. She's I I, I can't formulate words. To be in the new Aretha, how amazing Cynthia in the new uh, Aretha Franklin like limited series, um, which I'm very yeah very excited for her and just I love her. But also, this is a side note. I want her to be Alphaba, so that's just my note. Oh yes. <laughs> Who do we have to call? Who do we have to? Call? Who do we have to call? Mark Who do we have to bribe? Mark Platt, the dire- uh, what's the director's name? I forget, uh, forget his name. He's the um, producer, Mark Platt. Um, but literally, get her on board. Joe but- Mantello. Hello, Joe Mantello. Hello, Broadway. Literally. Uh, literally. We want, we want Cynthia, please. But wait, this is... I'm getting off topic. <laughs> okay, saw, edit in post. I, I saw Audrey McDonald's today last week. Audrey McDonald does Madame Morrible. But on a side note... <laughs> <gasps> your face collect is so so I know they can't they can't see my face. I literally like the way my jaw just dropped. <gasps> that would be so good. So good. Back on track with Tony's. Um 
you know, I really, you know, have, you know, I give it to the committee because they did honor a lot of great plays technically wise and oh, yeah. an actor and tech, tech, tech as well. But the one thing that I can say with musicals is that I really think that Moulin Rouge is going to do really well with the techni technical categories. Yeah. And that's, and that's because, um, from what I have seen, both, um, both Tina and Jagged are fairly minimalistic. And the the friggin' the set the co like Moulin Rouge went all out. It's an experience. They, they like three hundred percent that wow wow. So yeah, no, I I completely agree. And I um I know we're not supposed to be calling it, but I I think I think Jagged is gonna win most of the stuff. Um, I think Tina will, um, I think Adrian Warren's probably going to take the Tony. I think Mulan wow. Rouge is going to sweep the technical oh. categories. With um, Adrian Warren, I had the same feeling because um, sure performance in that is literally impeccable but and and here's here's the other thing is like don't get me wrong elizabeth stanley's performance in jagged was gut-wrenching and beautiful um and karen olivo is a powerhouse in moulin rouge um but adrian warren is that show like that show is a star vehicle in another way um Whereas, like, Jagged and Moulin Rouge, the, the, the two of them aren't carrying as much of the show as Adrian is. Um, and so I, I feel like for that, that's going to, like, edge it out and Adrian's going to win because she, she is the whole show. Literally. And then the fact that, like, not, like, comparing it with, like, Stephanie J. Block, you know, with her in the share show, but it's, like within the same vein of, you know, not in the same vein, but it's like, you know, those actresses, you know, they made this iconic living character a breathable source, mm -hmm. storytelling-wise, you know, yeah. in like, you know, not as like a Las Vegas in, impersonation, a story, yeah. a story yeah. being told. And within with that, you know, because with Stephanie, like this, like with that versus this, it's like, you know, I think that, you know, with Mary Jane and Elizabeth Stanley's character, you know, this is a, it's a new character, original, you know, it's very, very applicable. It can be very relatable that in the eyes of, you know, Tony viewers and, you know, all that stuff like that. And it's a, it's a phenomenal performance. Um, it's a really, really phenomenal performance. And it's very, it's a very, very like a, which this, the character itself and everything is a very, critical performance because the material that this character goes through and yeah it's a lot it's it's, it's really a lot, lot of but I, I think i think that i think that with the amount the amount that adrian carries tina um i think i think she's gonna take it and then i think i think almost all of the other categories are gonna sweep um jagged except for the technical categories and um a featured actor i think is probably gonna go 
Oh, Doctor, I told you already. I, I, guys, if you guys don't know, like the three people musical theater that have brought me to this day, male musical theater legends, Brian Darcy James, Danny Bernstein, Rob McClure are like the, the, what made me find myself in voice in, in theater. And, you know, with Danny Bernstein, I have a desiring love for that man. And, you know, his performance as Harold Ziegler, as like, that show is an experience and you're going to get that from these performances and these and, and that's another one of those like like um like the other one that comes to mind is like the engineer in the saigon right like it's it's one of those like old school show person type roles that that you know the awards tend to swing that way so that's 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 my prediction is that adrian warren is going to take leading actress um danny bernstein's going to take featured actor um Aaron's gonna win. I think right now featured actress is between Lauren and Catherine. L- Lauren and Catherine, because really, I was gonna say Lauren and Celia, but I think I think Lauren's gonna get it. I think Lauren's gonna get it, but the thing with Lauren and Catherine is because, you know, a lot of the like featured character roles and shows like that, you know, this character specifically, um, what she plays is a very sensitive, very sensitive, you know. Yeah, but Celia does so much more in that show. And Celia's character does so much more to drive the plot forward. No, it doesn't Again, just, just so we're clear, I literally every single person on this list is awe-inspiring. So don't get me wrong. This is not intended to, like, discount any of the phenomenal work that any of these people are doing. And I just found out that Celia is the, the youngest female to be, like, Black person of color female to be nominated for a Tony Award. Yeah, mm, I yeah I, I read it somewhere. I, I I might be I read it somewhere that she what like, she tweeted like I, I think what's your what's well no tweet? because because Haley Kilgore is my age like it she's was, my age and so Celia I and think Celia's eighteen or nineteen. No, she just turned twenty. Really? Because mm-hmm. she tweeted, it was I think Demarius Copes tweeted and it was like the youngest blah blah. blah. And then Celia commented and was like, oh, wait, I just checked I am. So. I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm going to fact check that. I'm like, how old was Haley? Fact check it for me. Fact check it I saw it on Twitter. You know, Twitter's not a you know, reliable source, but it was t- tweeted by. Yeah. You know, oh, so Haley is, Haley is my age. How old is she? 21? She's 21 now. She was born in 99 like I was. Um, and once on this island was... Not last year, but the year before. So that would have been 2017. Oh, so really? 2017 oh minus 1999, Haley was 18 when she was nominated. Um, and Celia, 18 or 19 when she was nominated. And I'm pretty sure Celia is 20. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think Haley was younger, but they're about the same age. I don't know why we're doing this. <laughs> I don't know why, but I, I saw it on Twitter and I was like, "Is she?" Because I didn't want to say anything. But even though those that both of those women, you know, Celia as well. Yeah. Oh my God, they're they're phenomenal. They're both they're both phenomenal. I actually young, went to school with Haley. Like to be that period, like to be that young and She's like so lovely. Like Lashawn's is clapping for Celia from the gods. Like literally, like one thousand percent. So happy. But I think that you know just to broaden it back up 
to broaden it back to the, the topic, you know, this is a very interesting year. A lot of anything can happen within these, you know, awards nominations. And, you know, it's it's tough. You know, this this year is a, we we're gonna it could be on history that this Tony Awards is gonna have an asterisk or be known to be yeah. this Tony Awards pandemic edition. That's probably gonna be like what, you know, it's gonna be. Um, but you know, it's it's crazy. And I'm you know I don't know what to expect. You know, we, we don't know when this is going to happen. We don't know. No. We don't know it's going to be, you know, done social distance in person, virtually. I just an honor that they're going to, it's going to be performed. I mean, we don't know. We have no idea. It's, this is, this is going to, this is going to be a weird, a weird year, but I'm, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. And ultimately, um, I am hopeful that, um, this will spark some additional interest in Broadway so that when it does come back, and I say when, because it will, um, when we are able to gather in person again and do theater that way, that the audiences will be ready to come back. Yeah. I think that it will, it will be a much, you know, once everything comes back, it'll be, you know, We'll know when it's right to come back, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now. It's just, you know, I, I still feel like, you know, we, we want it so bad, but I personally think it's not, we're, we're not ready. It, it, it's not just, yet. We're just not ready right now. You know, like, no. not trying to get, you know, too world, worldly and, you know, political. It's, you know, right now we're, we're just not ready. And as much as, you know, I sympathize and I empathize with all of, Broadway actors, stage managers, everyone that contributes to a Broadway show, you know, in New York, but also everywhere in the entertainment industry, you know, yeah. I give, you know, it's, so much. It's not, it's not because anybody wants that not to happen. It's because it's just not safe yet. And it sucks and it's hard and it's rough, but like the enemy here is, um, is a bacteria. The enemy here is a natural disaster, arguably. Now, that's not to say that certain people haven't done not great jobs at fighting the enemy, but we won't get into that. Um, but yeah, speaking speaking of it not being safe, um, that's why you should all go support virtual theater. Virtual theater, literally, guys. If you, I, I'm really excited to see this. I, you know, um, looking forward to it. You know, I'm I. So I can't, I can't like specify or show you. Um, sorry, I'm just closing my door. Um, but I have um, gotten to see a good chunk of the show already um, because, you know, like as pieces are edited and ready and you guys, it's another, like this, it's going to make you change the way that you look at theater. And it's nice to notice they recently got featured in what 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 publication? The New York Times. New York Times publication just featured virtual production of Heather's. Literally their first. I I still I still cannot believe that that happened. Uh, um, but yeah, and we um, we are so excited um, because we have. Um, we have shows planned through October 2021. That's amazing. Um, so 
if you don't follow Russo Richardson on social media or check out our website, RussoRichardsonProductions.com, um, we're at Russo Richardson on all platforms. Um, check us out um, because Heather's is going to be stupendous. Um, the next show we have in January, I am so excited about. It is like my passion project. It is my baby. It is my love. The Christmas album is going to be so much fun. And um, the, the April show is going to be the silliest, most fun thing ever. Um, so we have so many great things in store for you guys. Um, and I literally cannot wait until all of the contracts are signed and cleared and ready. And I can tell you about them all. Literally. Um, I guess Kalei yeah. is a hardworking individual. <laughs> hardworking. And I've known her for only less than a year, a couple, like, five months, six months. Gosh, it's, it, it's been like, yeah, it's been like four or five months. I feel like it's been forever. It, it feels like I've known you forever. It's so crazy. Cause I know. You just, I mean, guys. We just clicked right away. You haven't seen many Mean Girls. Just go ahead and stream it. Go ahead and see it. Go ahead and see it. For you. I love you so much, Danny. You're such a gem. The theater community is so lucky to have you. Thank you. Oh, my God, guys. Like, literally making, you know, as Colette is just an inspiration and a hardworking individual within her vein. And, you know, it's insane how much she puts in her, into her work and the whole team within uh, Heather's and everything there and the whole cast. You know, I know mostly know everyone in the cast and they're super and new people that I'm super excited to see perform. That yeah, so there's, some, there's some great, there's some great talent who you will not know. And after this show, you absolutely will. Literally, I'm, you know, very excited to see this and I'm just super excited for that. But, you know, guys, if you have any um, uh, comments of the Tony Awards, like how you feel on all that, head to our newly made Instagram page. Instagram, it's just established and we're still working on getting it more globally and everything on its own entity and platform. You can head there on bway.live on Instagram and you can um, go on the link tree and go on the website and you can um, send in a form requests, any topics, anything you want to see on here, because, you know, I'm open to anything in regards to theater, pop culture, and theater, and Tony Awards. Let me know if you, you want to see. I remember I got a request if I could get Alex Brightman on here, and I said, I don't know if that's possible, but... Do not discount yourself. Discount. Alex would be lucky to talk to you. Future future plans with certain individuals may be coming sooner than you think, people. Um, also, <laughs> you know, follow Broadway Live on Instagram and also subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, yes. all the things you can. We're, guys, I listening global, globally, I've been hearing, you know, we have listeners in Chile, Portugal, Ireland. <laughs> It's everywhere. Hi, Chile. Hi, Portugal. Literally, you guys are amazing. It's really been amazing to just do this and you know, have a conversation and just enjoy this and whatnot. Um, Colette, where can we find you on social media? Um, I am on social media at Colette A.V. Rich on Instagram and at Colette A.V. Richardson on TikTok. Um, and shoot me a message if you ever want to chat because my DMs are always open. Literally, we need to do one. We haven't done a Jackbox game in so <gasps> I know, I know. We have to, we have to hang out. It's, it's always, oh, I miss you. I miss you so uh, much. Oh my God. And also guys, go follow at Russell Richardson on TikTok. Yes. Instagram and go buy your ticket to go see Heather's. Literally. Heather! 
Heathers. Heathers, literally, if you guys love Heathers, you would love this as well. Literally, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. great. So, Thank you so much for having me on, Danny. It's always such a pleasure. Course, of course. Anything future, I got you. <laughs> I thank you so much for listening. Tune in to next week for another amazing episode of Broadway Live. Have a good rest of your night. Bye. Bye, friends.